Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host. And today we're going to be talking about email marketing, uh, but a little bit of a unique variation on it. I thought that we'd chat a little bit about uh, what's best done in-house for an e-commerce merchant and what you can sometimes outsource to get extra hands on deck to be able to really upgrade your email marketing practice and, and your campaigns. And so with me today, I've got Mike from the Rejoiner team, who's going to be able to answer some some questions and provide some insights on the topic. Mike, uh, with no further ado, would you do us the honor of introducing yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so um, I founded Rejoiner about nine years ago. Um, and we are an email service provider that works uh, exclusively with uh, direct-to-consumer retail brands. Yeah, so at the core, we're a technology company and we build software that helps e-commerce companies execute on all of the different ways in which they use email to communicate with their customers, right? Um, but what makes us unique is that very early on, we realized that most you know, small um, and, and you know, small growing up through mid-market brands, um, the, the real gap that they had in terms of being able to execute well in the channel was not picking software. It was you know, staffing and resourcing and building a team to execute uh, in the channel. So it was, um, you know, I, over the nine years of building our platform, we realized that most of the brands we serve have this, you know, this, this staffing problem that we could help them close the gap on. And so very early on, what we decided to do was build an agency alongside our software. And so uh, in many cases, the brands that are using our technology are also working hand in hand to execute in the email channel with our, our services team. And so that's copywriters, designers, template developers, strategists, um, all folks who are tasked with helping our clients get the most out of their uh, investment in our platform. And uh, we currently do that work for about 150 brands um, today. Um, across all of the different you know platforms that are out there, uh, we work with some really um, it, you know sort of uh, I, you know I've described them more on the higher end on the enterprise side and like Titleist and Fully and Hallmark, and then we work with you know growing e-commerce brands mostly in the Shopify ecosystem as well. Interesting. So in essence, you know, uh, direct to consumer brand, uh, you know, some retailer uh, out there is getting an agency to run their Google Ads and an agency to help with their SEO and so on and so forth. And so you're not just providing the platform, but you're also, uh, as needed, offering those agency services side by side, if I'm... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we think email is a is a unique use case where for some other paid channels, it can be, you know, efficient and, you know, the, the outcome can be great to have one agency focus on a number of channels. Email is a little bit different because it's it's very unique from a creative perspective. It has much different uh, has more constraints typically than you know other paid channels. And so, this vertically integrated approach where we have a services team that only does one thing and focuses on being the best at one thing, uh, paired with the fact that they are intimately familiar with the capabilities of the software, um, you know, sort of where all the efficiency is created. Uh, it makes sense to me. I mean, when you're running ads, it is uh, as much as you need the the science and the art. You know, you need the creative brain and you need the mechanics that, that go along with it. I think you know, with email, there's so many different moving parts um, on the creative side, and <laughs> getting that right. Um, you know, yeah. one month is not like the last. Where with let's say something like Google Ads, you can get into a little bit of a uh, a pattern with it. I think that email <laughs> part of the challenge is. Uh, in some cases, br breaking some of those patterns, being uh, always on the cutting edge of whatever the latest news needs to be, the latest offers, the uh, you know following what, whatever trend lines. That's not to say that anything in online marketing ever really pauses or stops or, or coasts, right. but yeah. uh, 
but yeah, I, I think it's it's similar to the approach that JetRails takes around web hosting. You know, we a lot of our larger users we host on AWS. Anyone can go right to AWS for infrastructure. Uh, <laughs> it's it, it's not that that's a challenge. It's dealing with the twenty four seven maintenance and monitoring and management and yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's, it's getting everything right so that you can sleep well at night knowing that your e-commerce brand is thriving. So right. going back to the platform where this all started, is there a good story behind the Rejoiner brand and how you came to the name? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how good of a story it is, but I can, <laughs> I can certainly um, speak to the origins. I mean, we... Um, you know, I think like most software companies, we started out solving a much more specific set of problems than we solve now. And, um, you know, back in those days, when we were first starting out, we were mainly focused on one triggered email use case around, uh, specifically around abandoned cart, which is one that, you know, in your, when you're bootstrapping, which we were, um, it's a really good one to start with because it's very close to the cash register. Right, you can immediately see the returns. Um, it's it's targeting a very high value audience, and it converts really well. And so, we started solving that use case, and we wanted a name. I think we had we probably had two conditions, right? We wanted a .com, and we wanted something that was evocative, but not necessarily you know explicitly descriptive of what we were doing, which was you know reconnecting brands with lost customers. Um, and, you know, we, we, uh, we probably only spent, so, so funny, you're naming your company. I think we probably spent a total of, you know, five hours on it and we found Rejoinder and the .com was available and it's, that's what we've run with ever since. Yeah. I, I think of, and I think that's a really core place to start. Like you say, right after uh, <laughs> right next to the cash register there that, Hey, right. come on back, back in here. Um, that for some paid ad campaigns, uh, sometimes some of that remarketing, it's the low hanging fruit. They've already come to the website. You're just showing them ads to bring them back to seal the deal. So, yeah. you know, dollar for dollar, that can be some of the most cost effective marketing that um, that I've seen, you know, some e-commerce merchants engage in. It's usually a yeah. fraction of their ad campaigns, but it's same basic principles here. It's if, if you've got people, you've got their email address, they added something to, to the cart. And they left yeah. without checking out. Why wouldn't you be following up with them and, and trying to make that happen? So, yeah, and I mean, you know, the, the same ideas apply to really, you know, many of the other automated use cases that we, you know, sort of enable is, you know, the, with email when you have a complete picture of what a customer is doing on site and how they're engaging with the emails that you send and what they're buying and what they've bought historically, um, you have a pretty accurate picture of. of of intent, right? And throughout the customer lifecycle, that intent sort of ebbs and flows. But you know, automation is a really effective tool to help you capitalize at each stage, right? And deliver the right messaging to the right person. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to dive in a little bit here on the the agency side because I think, sure. um, yeah. you know, the, the, for me that's particularly interesting because you know I have some background there, but I I think that. Part of the challenge is always figuring out where the line in the sand is. So as an agency, I imagine, you know, that you can make recommendations around content ideas, sales, coupons, different things. But, yeah. you know, you're not in charge of the margins <laughs> and, um, and certain other facets of, uh, of the brand and, um, you right. know, whether they want to be involved in certain forms of discounting or they, they want to stay away from, uh, from that as a brand. Things like yeah. that. What is a typical workflow for an e-commerce merchant that's engaging with agency service? Who's what are they bringing to the table? What um, <laughs> what is your team yeah. doing to elevate that? Um, you know, who's really um, steering the ship? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I would describe our role in that workflow as you know we're translators. Right. We take assets that have already been created, whether it's photographic or, um, you know, uh, brand strategy or copywriting or messaging or even like you know, values. Um, and we translate them for one specific channel. 
Um, and so when a brand starts working with us, they're typically coming to the table with most of that established, that foundation established. Um, and then it's our job to help guide them as, as translators for making that work for email. And so a lot of times we're leveraging content assets that are already being created for other channels. Um, we're looking at ad performance in other channels to inform some of the copywriting ideas that we'll test. Um, photography is a really important one. Um, you know, most small brands are, are doing limited, if any, sort of professional product photography, but for the email channel, you know, hugely important um, to, to tap some assets there. And so, you know, we are obviously working in, in close collaboration, but the brand is bringing most of the foundation uh, when they come on board. So they're basically, they're creating sales because they're going to be promoting those through other channels as well. Uh, they're, you know, same with other couponing and, um, yeah. you know, and and blog content and other things that, you know, your team might give them some advice, especially based upon the analytics and, and the data that, uh, that you're seeing, yeah. but more, but, but you're not very, running their business. <laughs> very, yeah. Yeah. Very rarely are we driving promotional strategy. Um, you know, our clients are, are typically maintaining a calendar that they deploy across channels so that everything you know, stays consistent. And then we're responsible just for the email piece. Yeah, exactly. So, and you probably need an amount of time on average to have things properly prepared and approved, yeah. and reviewed and all that. So you probably are relying on, on an editorial calendar being in place because if not, it's going to get pretty messy. Yeah, yeah. We typically try to work like a month in advance. Um, depending on the frequency of, you know, depending how many broadcasts or whatever we're executing on. But um, yeah, you know, our process is pretty involved, right? Because we write all the copy, we do all the design work um, where we'll be sharing static mock-ups with a client just to, you know, it won't be a, it won't be a coded email, but it will look exactly like an email and they'll be able to kind of react to it and, and and uh, and make adjustments, and then there's usually a couple of rounds of revision there, and then we take that, and then we go ahead and we develop all the assets. So we slice up the images, optimize them, code up, you know, code up the templates, and then um, we also take responsibility for like day of pre-flight and campaign execution. So we do all the quality assurance, so all the testing, proofreading. Sure the links are good. You make sure it looks good in mobile devices and desktops and whatever other. Exactly right. Concerns. Yeah, it's all on us. It's all on us. And then we're actually pushing send in most cases as well. That's pretty, you know, I, I would normally think about, you know, the client really doing a lot of that review and that often delays you know, uh, any kind of campaign because, um, the you know, the client's dealing with multiple things at any given time. Uh, yeah. So that makes sense. Is it a similar workflow for other things that get set up like drip campaigns where um, those are set up and start at a particular time, but then they they keep running perhaps? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's more, you know, we approach, those are more like kind of like a one-time, um, I mean, it's not one-time, but it's like the, the workflow is, is more a little, of a one-time, yeah. Yeah, there's like a one-time setup where you put something in place and then you're going to continuously optimize it. But yeah, it's, it's the same flow. Um, I imagine the same for triggered emails like the abandoned cart emails that you mentioned, or maybe abandoned browse or replenishment emails reminding people that, hey, that, you know, you're probably yeah. running low on X, <laughs> time to buy another. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think what you're, you know, what you're describing is there's like a set of foundational automations where it's, you know, if you sell online, there's a very predictable set of moments throughout the customer lifecycle that we can trigger on. And, you know, the benefit of working with a team like ours is that we've been doing this for nine years. So we have thousands of wins to pull from. And we have also got a lot of losses to, to be aware of too, you know, things that didn't work. And so when somebody signs on with us and they're sort of, you know, building this out or improving on something they're already doing, there's a, you know, there's really an established set of uh, benchmarks that we bring to the table and strategy that we bring to the table that can increase your chances of success. Yeah, well, uh, you know, once you have enough data on what a good welcome email looks like, <laughs> that's certainly helpful. People exactly. are sometimes surprised at what moves the needle, what gets people to come back or excited about something. You know, do you include that new customer coupon in it? Do you, right. you know, what do you do to really get people to react? So yep. I'm, I'm with you there. What about 
uh, I'll say that, you know, other offshoots like um, sign up forms on websites, you know, obviously it's crucial to collect the emails in order to have yep. somebody to reach out to. Uh, does your team play a role in that side of the house? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, and do you basically hand off scripts and things for the, uh, you know, extensions or anything else for, uh, for the web uh, developers to deal with at the client side? Is there some kind of a natural split? Yeah. yeah so, you know, to answer your first question, um, absolutely. Uh, acquisition and audience growth. Um, we do a lot of work there. So all of the different points of entry for how anonymous traffic becomes an email subscriber. Um, so whether that's on-site, whether that's you know integrating at the platform level so we can capture you know opt-in at checkout. Um, that's all of the points of entry on product detail pages, headers, footers, all of the ways that someone can become a subscriber, we're doing work to to optimize that. And of course, make sure that we're capturing in the markets where um, you know it's required. We're capturing explicit consent for marketing, right? Um, and we're maintaining an auditable log of that um, if we need to reference it later. So, yeah, acquisition is a big part of it. Um, yeah, it's it's funny because you know you think about sending email, and what most people think is like, okay, we're gonna. Uh, you know, set up a drag and drop template, and we're going to send it out, and we're going to make a bunch of money. But there's all of these other areas that circle around that. That in order to be successful in the channel for the long term, acquisition is a piece, deliverability is a piece, A/B testing and optimization is a piece, um, making sure you have coverage on automations is a big piece, consistency on broadcasting and execution is a piece. So it's, um, well, I, and I know, guess there's nothing. You know, for e-commerce merchants, it shouldn't be a huge surprise because the same way that the sites run, that launching it is one thing, but then it's like a house. It's never truly done that there's always conversion rate optimization. There are always new trend lines and exactly. yep. changes in the market. So, you know, I, with that, I, I always think it's interesting how different brands choose to communicate with shoppers and the frequency with which they communicate the types of messages, whether they're sending tips and ideas and useful information, or whether it's all about, you know, sales or new products or, you know, figuring yeah. out uh, the cadence for how often can we <laughs> hit people up to come by again? And obviously, I mean, you know, if you're, uh, you know, typical examples, right? You know, if, if you're selling food, you could get them coming back every week. If you're selling uh, mattresses, they're probably not going to need anything yeah. that frequently, <laughs> yeah. maybe some new pillows or something. But uh, you know, how, um, how much of what you, you help merchants with is just figuring out the right content to be sending out at the right times, yeah. not to overwhelm and get people unsubscribing and clicking spam and unhappy, um, finding that balance. Cause depending on the demographics you're targeting and the products and things and the brand affinity, maybe people don't mind more frequent or more sales yeah. and things, and maybe they do. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I think you raise a very important point that a lot of the decision making is situational, and a lot of it is based on business model. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is at the core of what we're helping uh, brands figure out is what is the ideal balance between brand focused content like tips and how tos and education and um, you know, delivering value to the subscriber first, and how do you balance that kind of messaging with conversion-focused messaging, right? Because at the end of the day, our performance is being measured by last-click revenue in Google Analytics for the most part. And so it's striking a balance between, okay, how do we build enough trust with the people that we're sending to, which ultimately, you know, they keep opening our stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we balance that when the time is right with promotions, with um, conversion driving messaging. And, you know, the way that we think about it and, and the way that we recommend brands think about it is that the consistent broadcasts that you send out at regular intervals, whether it's once a week or twice a week or three times a week, it doesn't really matter. But think about those as your trust building, um, you know, uh, emails where it's like about delivering value to the subscriber first. And then your automations, which are triggered by behavior further down the funnel in most cases, those are responsible for conversion. And so typically the breakdown will be 
60% of last click revenue will be generated by automation. 40% will be generated by broadcast. That's a very broad stroke. It's not always the case, but it, you know, it sort of yeah. de- describes the, the ideal situation from our perspective. Yeah. And, you know, this is all part of the reality of for your a normal brand. I mean, I don't know. You could be Apple and people aren't going to buy something every time they get one of your emails. Exactly. Uh, that's not how it works, but it is healthy to have that brand affinity. It is healthy to have that brand awareness. You want to be top of mind, uh, especially yeah. if you're not Apple, which, you know, that's a whole other story. But, you know, for most brands, you want to keep them coming right back to your site. You want a relationship with the merchant. You don't want them going to Amazon uh, where yeah. you really have no control of what, you know, competitors and knockoffs and other things you're you're going to deal with. And um, so yeah, we, we, we think of it like um, it's about endorphin hits. Right, where if we can send someone an email, and I don't care if they I don't care if they click it, but if we can send someone an email where they open it, and for the two seconds that they consume that content, if they leave with a positive feeling, like I learned something, or this was interesting, or hey, maybe I'm gonna come back to this and look at it later. If you can create that endorphin hit what it does is it buys you permission to send again the next time because when that person sees your email pop up the next time you send they're going to say to themselves hmm. you know in in that that millisecond that they make the decision to open or not they're going to remember that they got value from you the last time that they sent and they weren't you weren't asking for a sale you weren't asking them to click on anything it was just about putting their interests before your own and if you do that repeatedly over and over and over and over again, you create sustainability, right? Where when you send, there are enough people you send to every time that are going to find what you're saying interesting. And, you know, the, the classic example of this is, um, I'm not for sure if you're familiar with a brand called Huckberry. Um, no, no, no. They essentially produce a magazine quality email newsletter. Huh. And they literally don't care if you click through and buy anything. They care about when you open the email, did you think it was cool? So that the next time they send, you're going to open the email and you're going to think it was cool. And then eventually you're going to buy something. Well, um, you know, say, look, brands that sponsor the Olympics, right? You know, or, or other, is it that you saw the golden arches or something or whatever it may be, uh, you know, Coca-Cola advertised there and you went out and immediately spent a bunch more money? No, they they know that right. um, that there are certain things. Again, I'm not suggesting that every SMB or mid-market player needs to go sponsor the Olympics or that that's where they're going to get ROI. But there's absolutely something to be said for relationship building. And you know, I think at the same time, having a brand culture that others can identify with um, having some kind of a persona as an organization as more than just a vending machine of sorts in the digital right. age, yep. uh, but, you know, real people with real value, you know, uh, experts within a certain domain, within a, a certain, uh, you know, vertical or industry or what have you. And, yeah, you know, and so that all f- fits within the way that I, I like to think about how this should operate well. Um it's logical, right? It, it doesn't take a lot for most of us to, to think that that makes sense. And you're also not trying to get every single person that opens the email to react the exact same way to, or to take the exact same action. So I think that that's sometimes something that, that often, you know, marketers have to really get across, um, you know, why do we use multiple channels to communicate with people? Well, some people are more reactive to email and prefer to sit there with that and others are sure. more reactive yeah. to social media or something, you know, different audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. You know, in the same way that in terms of messaging, some people want to hear more about the good things that your company's doing in, in the community or for the environment or whatever it may be. And others are just looking for a coupon. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, you know, you hedge your bets a little bit there too. And any good... Uh, you know, investment expert or what have you, they're going to tell you don't put it all in one bucket. Um, right. So thinking more from the technology side, you know, it's, it's, of course, interesting that Rejoiner 
does both, um, you know, offers the platform and offers the uh, the marketing services, the the management for the email campaigns themselves. You know, at JetRose, we do a lot of work with Magento and some of the users that we run into on occasion, uh, they're still using like native email blasting functionality, newsletter functionality in the Magento platform. Yeah. I recently authored a, a blog post on the JetRails blog where I was looking at the different types of emails, the corporate emails that sometimes people try to host right there um, on the email server, their yeah. info at, sales at, Robert at, um, yeah. and the transactional emails and the marketing emails and you know that um, best practices for, for all that sort of thing. What are you running into? Are you finding that there's still a lot of uh, of brands that really just aren't don't have a, a competent? I don't know. I don't want to put it in a negative, but uh, are a proactive email campaign yeah. up and running? Or you know, are you seeing that a lot of people are still using legacy solutions like this that don't really um, yeah. deal with as much of the automation and and leverage as much of the data as well as as one would think? That's a really good question. Um, I would say very rarely do we come across a brand who's doing nothing. And I would say that almost that 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 never happens anymore. So there's always some sort of pre-existing solution in place. Um, what we see a lot is sort of a piecemeal approach where they're sending transactional through Magento. They're sending broadcast through some other, you know, like your newsletters. They're sending like newsletters through some other legacy ESP. They've got some other solution for triggered or behavioral. Um, then they've got maybe another vendor that's doing something very specific on site. And so it's like this mishmash um, of three or four different you know, the origins that are, are delivering email to their customer and, and no one is really responsible for the complete life cycle of the customer or paying attention to it. And so that's one of the problems that we set out to solve, right? Was like, how do we create a solution that can power any way in which you need to use email to communicate with the customer and then maintain a system of record for that? So we can do things like frequency cap, make sure we're not sending to someone too many times. So we can do things like have a, have a real understanding of attribution and what role these emails are playing on the path to conversion. And that becomes very difficult if you have four different email vendors. Um, but for the most part, right, most people come to us and they're doing some of this stuff with internal resources. That's the typical situation. That makes, that makes some sense to me. I mean, we, still run into people that, uh, uh, you know, send transactional emails that are, you know, just the most basic that they don't yeah. uh, append any, <laughs> any opportunities to leverage data to sell the next item or, or do anything else that don't, uh, personalize it in any particular way beyond here's your, yeah. here's your invoice or your order is shipped or what have you. Um, there's a lot out there that people haven't yet taken advantage of. Speaking of, when it comes to some of the, do you find that there are things that are just particularly overlooked? Like something that I rarely see people leveraging well um, is reactivation, is getting people uh, that are maybe they've lost interest in the emails, getting them yeah. or, or they haven't been to the website in a long time, getting them back in. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's definitely one we we rarely see even the most sophisticated brands addressing. Um, but more generally, I would say the biggest gap is that very rarely do we see anyone paying attention to deliverability. Um, and that can be shortcomings in one of a few different areas. Um, authentication for you know authentication protocols like SPF and DKIM and DMARC and MX are not set up correctly. Um, they have no monitoring set up for things like, you know, blacklists and gray lists and um, sort of leading indicators that problems, you know, could be happening. Very rarely do they have Google Postmaster tools set up, which is Gmail's feedback loop. And it's like for most brands, 60 to 70% of their list is, is personal Gmail addresses. Um, obviously, there's exceptions to that. 
Um, they're not doing things like seedless testing to try to understand how they're inboxing. You know, are my messages ending up in the promotions tab, the primary tab? Are they getting put in spam? Looking at that across clients, looking at performance metrics across clients. Clients, almost nobody's doing that. So, like, generally speaking, deliverability is one of the most important foundational aspects of being successful, especially as you grow and you have a big list. And we see almost no one making investments there like they should. Um, and list reactivation is a very important part of that. Um, list reactivation in tandem with sunsetting, right? Knowing when to take a customer off your list because they haven't opened or clicked in some period of time that for your business, and it's not the same for every business, right? Because if you're a, uh, you know, a gift-centric brand and you do 70% of your business in Q4, sunsetting someone because they haven't opened in six months is not really the right idea. But for, you know, as you pointed out, you know, somebody that's in CPG or they're selling, um, you know, replenishable products, somebody that hasn't opened in two months might be appropriate to sunset them. Um, so it's different for every, um, you know, every, every business model. Um, but generally speaking to your point, like that is a often overlooked facet of, of the channel for sure. Yeah. Well, I think, for some merchants and business owners, they don't always understand the difference between one email provider and the next in terms of deliverability. Totally. Yeah, totally. You know, yeah, you know, there are things that you can do that cause yourself grief, like, you know, using certain terms in subject lines, not having subject lines really matching the body of the email, different things that I yeah. imagine some of the spam filters are still looking at. But uh, but then, you know, and, and absolutely, you know, the, the DNS records, the, you know, uh, spoof records yeah. and other things, that's. That's crucial, but uh, something as simple as, you know, <laughs> if you're sending through a mass platform that's using shared IPs and other people are sending out a bunch of spam and yeah, you're absolutely, and in some cases it's hard to even tell what IP the emails were being sent from. And oh, they don't clean. know. They don't, yeah. they have no idea. Yeah, yeah. They have no idea um, because yeah. the, the vendor doesn't expose it, right? Like, yeah. If you're on Mailchimp, you have no idea what IPs you're sending through. I mean, it's it's all very opaque, like in terms of the underlying infrastructure. So when that campaign uh, didn't do as well as you would have thought, you don't know if it's because the the IP that it, w it was being sent from wound up exactly. blacklisted somewhere, and your inbox deliverability went down the tubes. It's exactly uh, right. Yeah. You know, so there are these things out there that I think wind up pretty obfuscated. That when you're you're trying to compare these things, like. <laughs> There, it's not always clear what you're getting for your money or not getting. Um, and, you know, some right. of these platforms are very user-friendly, very good. You know, I there's some that I, I prefer to others. Um, but, you know, taking it away from the platform for a second, what about, and we've touched a little bit here on list hygiene, on removing users that, that haven't been on the list for a while. I, you know, I, I've seen websites where somehow or other they wind up in their email lists with these, uh, I, I think we, we'd call them still honeypot emails. Um, basically, <laughs> you know, if you send an email to this address, the thought is that you must have scraped it somewhere and you're a spammer. And so if you yeah. if you email this address, you're automatically on the on the naughty list. Uh, yeah. your, your emails are going to spam because um, you've now made it onto all these spam lists. Do you uh, I would hope that in e-commerce that we see more and more brands um, that are really just using the data that's being entered in their site and it's clean. Mm -hmm. But once in a while, I don't know whether it's a competitor doing it or whether it's, you know, just somebody that's testing something, you know, wants to get to the checkout to see the shipping price or something. And so, but they don't want to use their real email or do, do you still yeah. run into any of that in the industry where these, um, these bad email addresses wind up in what should otherwise be, or what you would, <laughs> you would hope would be clean lists? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still, I would say it's prevalent. Um, there are ways that you can, you know, de-risk that, um, you know, built into our platform, we, we programmatically validate any email address that flows into one of our clients' accounts. And so we go out and we test to see if the inbox is active, if it's on a client that makes that possible. We look for known gray lists, uh, known spam traps, um, catch-all addresses, you know, like info at mm -hmm. um, poses higher risk. We 
you know, essentially try to root out problematic addresses before our clients start sending to them. Yeah, there's no reason um, that there should be no reply at on your list going exactly outbound right. or perhaps sales at or customer service at yeah. or some of these generic. Yeah. And we also have, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. So we have an enormous um, data set around uh, known complainers, known unsubscribers. Um, you know, I would say five to 10% of the email addresses are in our system. We see in more than one place, like on more than one site. Right. And so we can drop from our own intelligence to like sort of be able to assign a risk profile to an address as to whether or not you should, you should send to them. Um, and then, you know, there's always double opt-in, right? Um, most brands, and, and we actually don't recommend brands use double opt-in, um, you know, generally speaking, you're going to wind up with a fraction of your lists. So. Yeah. Generally only 20% of, of subscribers will double opt-in. However, it is useful if you are trying to recover from a problem where you've had some sort of deliverability issue and you're trying to, you know, I'll use Gmail as an example where um, primarily they're using domain reputation and engagement as the two dimensions of how they um, assign a, a score to your sender reputation, right? And engagement is all of the good and bad things that can happen when people consume your email, right? The good things are people open, click, forward, reply, mark is important. The bad things are people unsubscribe, complain, ignore for extended period of time, right? Um, and so, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. What was what the original question was? Well, just, uh, it was going back toward um, if, if we're still seeing uh, you know, these, these honeypots, if, if we were oh. basically list hygiene, if, if these merchants oh, yeah, yeah, that are yeah. onboarding um, are winding up uh, with deeper rooted issues than they realize that have probably yeah. been hurting them for a while or, yeah. uh, you know, it's one yeah, of those things. Bringing, it's uh, like you, you look at these lists and you, you realize that they're never going to get good deliverability. And so it's like, why have you been punching yourself? Um, right. You just, you know, you didn't have the insight into the fact that the list that you were sending to was damaged. <laughs> Right, right. And I was, I was, I remembered my, my, my point I was going to make around double opt-in as a way to um, correct, if you do have serious deliverability problems and list gene hygiene problems, double opt-in can be a way where for a, you know, a, a finite period of time, you are essentially guaranteed to ha have engaged subscribers who are real people who will help boost that, you know, those engagement scores. Um, as far as the percentage of people who exhibit those positive um, behaviors. So um, double opt-in temporarily can be a, a powerful tool to help correct some of those issues, but we generally don't recommend it as a, um, you know, a thing that you're going to employ all the time. That makes sense. Cause I know that when I get those, uh, <laughs> I really opt back in. It's, yeah. you know, I was like, well, when's the last time I used one of those and I'm out. Um, I'll right. just let it fade away. Uh, truth be told, uh, you know, it gets me to stop and think about, do I really want these clogging up my inbox anymore? I might not have taken the proactive step of unsubscribing, but I'm certainly right. not going to go out of my way to, you know, to, to keep that particular one yeah. going. It's hit or miss. Um, you know, and thinking back to some of these additional areas that a lot of merchants don't spend as much time with, I know, you know, a lot of people, they set up an email, they send it or they set it on whatever triggers or automation uh, campaigns that, that they're setting up. What about, uh, you mentioned earlier, A-B testing. What kinds mm -hmm. of things do you typically split test or, or multivariate test in order to find uh, some of those winners within a particular campaign for particular audiences, you know, for, for their lists in yeah. particular? Yeah, automation, um, by the very nature of how it works, is a fantastic use case for incremental optimization, right? Because most of the time the sample sizes are very large, right? For some of these triggers, there's a significant percentage of people who are moving through them. And the leverage that you have, given the fact that it's automated, right? Makes it a great case to test um, various aspects of a program. So some of the things we test are, um, Obviously, uh, subject lines to drive open rates is where we typically start, uh, you know, on a per email basis in a workflow. Um, 
Oftentimes there's questions around, you know, how many touches should a specific trigger have? And in that case, we're, we're running a more macro test, which is like, uh, we call it branch-based testing, which is, does a branch with three emails perform better than one with seven or six or four? And what should the timing be? And we don't really care what engagement is at the per email level. We care about the outcome of the entire flow and what works better. So there's, you know, sort of a macro level there, but, um, you know, so that obviously, you know, you can do things to test open rates, click-through rates, revenue generation, um, you know, putting specific pieces of dynamic content in different places. So like how you know, the general structure of, of templates, um, you know, so that's testing that's focused on driving the performance of, of pieces of creative, right? Um, we also like to do, um, we call it holdout testing or control group testing which is where we're trying to understand, and, and, and automation is another great case for this. We're trying to understand what happens when we do nothing at all, right? So, you know, a great example would be, okay, we're gonna run a win back program that sends an offer to someone if they haven't purchased in 60 days. And this is something we frequently do where, you know, it ladders up, you get a 10% offer, a 15% offer, a 20% offer, right? And these programs always look like they're doing great, right? When you send that kind of email out, people will open it and click it and buy, and it will generate revenue. Um, and that's, that's, that's fantastic, right? But there's more to the story. And that is, you really don't know how many people would have done that anyway. And you have no measure of incrementality. Mm -hmm. right? So what control group testing does is basically peel off a percentage of uh, the audience, and we don't send them anything, even though they would have qualified for those, you know, those those laddered offers. And we continue to monitor their behavior for ninety days, and then we compare the performance of the folks in the group that we sent to versus the, the performance of the group that we didn't send to, and we basically compare the value of a single customer in each group to understand incrementally. And then factoring in the cost of the discounts, is this is what we're doing actually creating any profits, or is it just costing us? Right. Yeah. Look, uh, if you offer everybody ninety percent off um, that was going to buy anyway, you really uh, haven't done much justice. So I, I follow. Um, that makes sense, and I, I bet that for a lot of brands that that might be an earlier foray into really testing just how much they really need to discount to get an action to happen because. I find that a lot of brands, um, they give away too much. And I think sometimes it's that challenge between, you know, we're trying to move inventory, we're trying to keep uh, cash flow um, and yeah. really understanding. I mean, because something that a lot of people don't think about as simply as they should is that when you give 20% off, you're not giving 20% off of your cost. You're you're giving 20, you know. Yes. Yeah. If you just think about, okay, if their profit margin on this item is 30% and they gave away 20, well, they just gave away two thirds of the profit. Um, right. You know, so there, yeah. there's a lot of math there that when you actually sit down and, uh, and factor it out, um, it, you know, often some of those strategies, uh, it's tough. And if you do it um, too often, you basically train the customer not to come in without a coupon. And so you lose opportunities to right. sell at full price. And there are brands that I remember, I mean, JCPenney tried to take away the coupons and people stopped coming. It was like, right. no, no, we've lowered our prices. So you don't need to bother with the coupon. You don't need to worry about going back out to your car, going or not, you know, because you threw it out or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, yeah. just come on in. And the price is great. No, nobody wanted to do that because nobody was showing up without a coupon because they spent too long being trained that that was the only way to make a purchase. Exactly. Uh, yep. You yeah. know, that the, that's it's a, a real phenomena. Um, you know, I think for me, you know, it, it's pretty interesting just thinking about the wide range of things happening here that go outside of the actual uh, content writing and, and clicking of the send button. That's the easy part. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, do you wind up with some merchants coming to you on an existing platform and they're just looking for the agency services because, you know, they're really, I know a lot of platforms, some of them don't provide phone support. Some of them aren't, yeah, yeah, uh, aren't yeah. very proactive in, in training users or providing 
extra yeah. uh, on-demand service or recurring yeah. service. How does how do those conversations happen? Because obviously you're like you said that most people when they get to you they're already on a platform. Um, they've yeah. already started somewhere, whether it's uh, ideal, whether it's fu- as functional as you or I would particularly hope it to be. How yeah. does that uh, come about for you? Yeah, um, that happens. That happens often. Um, you know, the switching costs are very high, right? If you have all of your data and all of your creative, and you've invested uh, time in integration and you know, things are working somewhat up to your expectations, the switching costs to move your ESP are quite high, right? And we understand that. Um, You know, so in those situations where it's a platform that we have experience with, um, we will, in some cases, take on services only accounts. Um, That number is very small of our overall customer base. Um, but in a situation where we feel like there's a good fit and we're like excited about the brand and what they're doing, and we feel like there's a good opportunity and, you know, most importantly, like we feel like the people are going to be nice to work with, then we'll like make an exception. Um, you know, but then on the other hand, there's been some situations where we've started an engagement like that and the platform they were using was either so limited or so, um, you know, it just didn't have the feature set that we needed to be successful. That that's actually been a trigger for a brand to move over to our platform after we started an engagement like that um, on the services front. Um, you know, it's not something that happens a lot, and it's something that we kind of look at on a case by case basis. But you know, the vast majority of our of our clients are using our platform um, and and our services team together. Sense. You know, one other kind of facet of that that I'll, I'll ask about because I, I think it's interesting, you know, that most people probably come st- at least starting the conversation about either uh, the more traditional email marketing services or, you know, some form of triggered emails, yeah. you know, segmentation, automation, uh, different things happening. Do you ever get anybody that comes over looking specifically for the triggered emails, for the, um, uh, for, for the transactional emails, I should say? Uh, that because I know that there are a few services out there that um, that focus more on that. I mean, Jetbrows yeah. is a web host. You know, a- Amazon has their own messaging services and things yeah. that, that some people leverage. But I, I imagine that you're really pulling a lot more data together um, yeah. and providing more of that um, that service to figure out how to get lift <laughs> out of uh, those emails, how to really um, spice things up a little bit more. Uh, I'd assume that that's rare, but is that something that it comes up from time to time. Yeah, actually, we get, we. You know, it's funny you, you asked that question. You know, we just signed a deal where, like, as part of the initial services project, we're gonna, you know, do a whole uh, refresh of a transactional program. So, like, ship comp, folder comp, receipts, password resets. You know, all of these little micro interactions that are hugely important, right? Because the expectations of the customer are very high when those trigger. Um, but they're often such an afterthought from a design and conversion perspective and copywriting um, to some degree as well that like they end up feeling like very different than the rest of the interactions that the customers have. And so, yeah, we see transactional as like a huge opportunity because the other thing that it can do, right? You know, we're talking about engagement as the primary measuring stick that clients use to determine an email clients, I'm saying, like Gmail used to decide, are you a reputable sender or not? And transactional is a facet of the email channel that is almost guaranteed to have very high engagement. Um, and so when you can pair that with your, you know, the other types of, you know, every kind of email has a risk profile, right? And transactional is the lowest risk. And you can use that to offset maybe some of the riskier sends that you're, you know, undertaking. And so it can be a reputation builder too. Um, so yeah, uh, transactional is something. Sense in, uh, if I order something and I'm not getting the transactional emails because they're going to spam or something else is, hap- is going wrong there, right. I'm just going to tie up somebody's customer service team. It gets expensive. It's not good for reputation. Uh, exactly. You know, in a very humanistic way, you know, so that that's problematic onto itself. And, 
I think that that's one of those areas that often <laughs> it should be at the forefront because not everybody's going to subscribe or, or stay subscribed for your what I'll refer to as marketing emails. But uh, pretty much they're if they're your customers, they're going to be getting transactional emails. Right. So if you're yeah. not doing those well, <laughs> you're in trouble. Um, right. That's that's really you know one of your uh, your opportunities to make people happy to keep them satisfied and engaged. Totally. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, this has been fantastic. Before we wrap it up, any final thoughts, words of wisdom, anything else interesting going on in in the new year now in 2021, uh, or you know, recent yeah. data you've come across, or any, anything else to throw at our audience. <laughs> You know, I, I think it's interesting, right? We we are all working in a space that has an enormous amount of tailwind right now, right? So it's, um, there are many brands, there are many sort of more traditional retailers that are trying to figure this stuff out. There's many brands who are rethinking their existing efforts, you know, and for a long time, email has been a channel that has been sort of secondary to, you know, paid and organic social. Um, in this world. And, you know, there's some really interesting changes that have occurred, Facebook specifically, you know, around some of the, you know, the privacy practices and the targeting in which you can use um, to build your paid audiences. And, you know, email kind of comes to the forefront again as a result of that, where some of that targeting capability goes away. Um, you know, an email is just a fantastic channel to invest in because it's owned, right? You own the relationship with each individual subscriber. I mean, and you can use those audiences, you know, build lookalike audiences on Facebook and push various segments of your customer base to Facebook to, you know, build, build uh, you know, either build exact match or lookalike audiences. So it's like, you know, it's, it's funny because I've been doing this for a long time and it feels like everything's come full circle in the last couple of years where like, I stuck around long enough for email to become cool again. And, you know, it's just a really interesting time to be, to be working in the space. And I think the creative medium um, will, will evolve a lot as sort of like the possibilities of the experiences you can create in the inbox will also evolve um, to be more like the modern web. And so, you know, I think it's just a really interesting channel to be investing in, to be working in, to be trying to push the boundaries in. And, um, you know, we're really excited to see where it goes from here. Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks so much for coming on today. This was yeah, fantastic. And uh, to our listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll have more great episodes for you shortly. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're consuming this wonderful piece of media. <laughs> and uh, as always, uh, you know, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy selling out there. Thanks for listening to the Jet Rails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.